Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, Ratchet Book Club is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, leave a review on Podchaser. Y'all know by now, right? Like, there's no way you got into this show halfway into a book. I never understood folks who could walk into a movie halfway and then understand what was going on. Like, I'm sitting there like, because I don't want to ask questions. I don't want to be that person who comes in and is just like, tell me everything that happened. So I just sit there and try and pick it up. And if I can't pick it up within a few seconds of me being there, then it's not meant to be. K sera sera, bitch. Also, K sriracha sriracha. Okay? Okay? I'm not going to sit here and try and figure out what's going on. If y'all are stepping into this book to try and figure out what's going on, thanks. Leave a review and then see your way out. Go back to season 10, part one. It's not that far back. Technically. It kind of is. But you're going to enjoy it because I'm dope. What would you rather do? Spend all of your time with a dope person like me? Or spend half the time with a dope person like me? Let me tell you, as somebody who spends all their time with me, there's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be than with myself. I don't mean that sexually, but I could. And, and you know, it's a good sleep aid. And it's it's good for activities. You know, not party favors, but like just boredom. Sitting, watching something on TV that you've seen already, you know, go to sleep. (laughs) Oh, God. So, as you can probably figure out, um, we are still reading the cartel. How you would have figured that out from what I said, I have no idea, but you did. And I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. So, shit got real quick, got real... um, Mainly real quick in that last uh, last episode, didn't it? Like, Essie just popped up out of nowhere. Like, I'm willing to kill my own grandson because he killed my other grandson. And I'm going to tell their mom about it because what the fuck she going to do? And all she could do is say, Dad, please don't. <laughs> that is like the funniest shit to me. Yo, this your dad. Going to kill your youngest son. Yeah, the only one you got left. 
Dad, please don't click. Hello? 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 Chapter 15. This ain't Flint Town, baby. Money flows like water in Miami, and I got a crazy connect. I'm getting the bird straight off the boat. Carter Jones. Taryn looked directly into Mecca's eyes. A part of her was relieved that he was safe and sound, but another part of her ached at the fact that he could possibly be responsible for money's demise. She could never imagine him committing such an act of sin. Certainly the hands that had shed her son's blood were not those of his brother. It couldn't be. Mecca, I need to ask you a question. I'll only ask you once, and I need you to be honest, she stated. I just want to break in real quick and say, when your parents ask you that, you already know that you're going to lie. As soon as they say, I'm going to ask you a question, you're already working on a lie. And as soon as they say, I need you to be honest, you have the lie literally loaded in your brain with variations in case they ask a question that is a little bit different from what you already have the lie for. Don't ask us to be honest. That's a challenge we just can't accept. And you're not looking for us to be honest. You don't want him to be honest. You want him to lie to you. Because what if he said he did kill your son? Then what? What the fuck you going to do? He's your son too. What are you going to do? Seriously. What's your plan after that? Did you think this out? Are you going to call the cops? Are you going to call Estes? Are you going to call Polo? What are you going to do? That's right. Not a goddamn thing. She was losing everything that she and Carter had worked so hard to maintain. She composed herself. And once Mecca's eyes met hers, she asked, Is it true? Did you harm Monroe? Mecca fixed his lips to answer honestly. He wanted to be truthful with his mother, but the look in her eye revealed her inability to forgive. Killing Monroe wasn't a trespass she could dismiss, and he loved his mother too much to give her a reason to hate him. He couldn't change the fact that money was gone, but he was still breathing and needed his mother's love like a newborn that hadn't yet been removed from the womb. So he lied. No. The lie ripped through his heart like a hollow point, and he couldn't contain his emotions. He held on to his mother trying to feel her heartbeat through their embrace while he wept on her shoulder, mourning the death of his brother and the loss of his sanity. Ever since he had killed Monroe, his head wasn't the same. Everything's going to be all right, son. I love you. No matter what your grandfather says, I know in my heart that you would never do what you've been accused of. Monroe was your other half, and you're too selfish to hurt a part of yourself. Ooh, shade, nigga. Ooh. I'm doing the bank head bounce. No, I'm raising the roof. That's what that one was. Y'all young kids don't know nothing about that. You're too selfish to kill yourself. Ah, she got him. Taryn held Mecca's face in both hands. The sight of him so weak and exposed reminded her of his childhood years. And she wished that she could turn back the hands of time. She wanted to go back to the days when her husband was their protector. But those days were lost. And now it was up to her to salvage what was left of her family. Mecca had tears in his eyes as he sniffed loudly. He knew that his mother was unaware that he was responsible for Monroe's murder. 
and the secret was eating out his insides. Now you are the only son I have left. Walk through those doors and man the fuck up, you hear me? Mecca knew that she was serious because swearing was something that his mother rarely did. He nodded his head in understanding. Your father isn't here, Mecca. My baby money is gone. I'm not losing you too. He hugged his mother tightly, and Bree stepped up and wrapped her arms around him as well. Mecca, I love you, Breeze whispered as they all embraced tenderly. I love you too, B, he answered, holding on to her as if it was the last time he'd see her. He looked up at Carter, who stood next to his Uncle Polo, both hands tucked away in his Cavalli slacks. Take care of him for me, man, Mecca said in an almost pleading voice. You know it, fam. Get your mind right, baby boy. I don't know what's going on inside you, fam, but we need you healthy, know I mean? Don't worry about anything. I'm going to take care of everything, Carter told him. Mecca embraced Carter briefly and gave his Uncle Polo a nod before he turned around and walked through the double glass doors and into the therapeutic mental institution. Breeze fell into Carter's arms as soon as Mecca disappeared from sight and her tears flowed freely from her golden face. I don't want to lose you, Carter. Everybody's leaving me. All of my brothers are gone except you, she whispered in a broken voice. Polo and Terrence stood silently as they watched the youngest member of the Diamond family break down. They knew it had been a long time coming. Breeze was by far the most vulnerable member of their dynasty, and with nothing but misery around her, they were all waiting for her to crack. Shh, Carter whispered. That's not happening, Breeze. I'm not going anywhere, and neither's Mecca. He's going to get better, I promise you that. We're going to rebuild this family, you hear me? She nodded and rested her head against his shoulder as he walked her to Polo's Bentley. Get some rest, B. I'll be by to check on you later, alright? Okay, she said as she stepped into the open car door. Be careful, Carter. I don't want to bury you, too. You won't have to, Carter replied as he closed the door. He turned to Taryn and Polo and then said, Taryn, can I talk to Polo for a second? He rubbed his hands over his neatly trimmed goatee in frustration, the stress evident on his face. Taryn nodded and then excused herself to the passenger seat of the car. Yo! The fuck, fam? Shit's getting wild. Mecca got these motherfuckers after him, got his mental all fucked up. My baby sis is breaking down and money. His words broke off in his throat as he thought of his current circumstances. He had just become acquainted with his siblings and he was already losing them. I swear to God, fam, I'm ready to murder my tea. Polo could see Carter was hurting and he felt his pain. He had been a part of the Diamond family from the very conception of the first seed, and he too was feeling the burdens of the war with the Haitians. Listen, son, we got to stay smart, strategic. You said it yourself. We got to think before we move. Right now, the cartel's taking a lot of losses. We need to be about our business, get our money up, and our soldiers strong before we get back in Mati. We need to sit down and promote some of our street lieutenants. Carter interrupted Polo. Nah, fam. 
I can't rock with them motherfuckers, man. No offense, fam. I respect what the cartel is and all it stands for, but I don't trust them niggas. I haven't bled with them, fam. They don't know my hustle. I need my own people down here. These Haitians, they plan for keeps, and I'm gambling with my life, know what I mean? I need niggas around me that I can trust. It's throwing me off because they keep spelling Haitians like you'll spell plantain. So it's like Haitain? 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 I don't know, it's a small thing, but when your eye catches it, your eye kind of sticks to it for a second. Polo nodded. Alright, put your peoples on the first flight out, and let's get this money so we can dead this beef and get back on track. Polo walked towards his car and got in, leaving Carter standing on the curb alone. Flipping up his cell phone, Carter called his right-hand man. Yo, Ace, what's good, baby? It's about that time. I need you, fam. That was all that needed to be said. Ace knew what time it was. He agreed to gather Zaire and be on the next flight out to chop it up with his best friend. The next night, Carter waited patiently as he watched Ace and Zaire emerge through the airport doors. A sense of relief instantly washed over him when he saw the faces of his two most trusted associates. With his own squad in town, he could lay niggas down with no reservations because he had his right and left hand beside him. He greeted Ace first slapping hands with the one person he had come up with in the game. They were thick as thieves and had taken over their hometown of Flint with relative ease. They were seasoned and thorough. They had been putting work in together for years, and he knew that the transition to Miami would be a smooth one. You good, fam? You had me worried on the phone. You ain't sound right, Ace commented as they embraced. Carter nodded his head and greeted his protege. Little Zaire, what's good, baby? I'm glad you came down, fam. My nigga call, I come running, fam. That's how we do, know what I mean? Besides, it's warm than a motherfucker down here. Do your boy some good getting away from that Arctic shit up north. Carter walked towards his range, and they all packed their bags inside before pulling away from the curb. Jay-Z's American gangster immediately filling the leather interior. Out of habit, Ace punched in the code to Carter's hidden compartment, revealing three chrome pistols. He removed two, tossing one in the backseat to Zaire. Carter, Ace, and Zaire were the last of a dying breed and would never be caught without their heaters. Zaire and Ace had the exact hidden compartments in their own whips. The compartments always held three guns, one for each of them in case of emergencies. So what's so important that we had to come all the way down here, Ace said, admiring the change of scenery that Miami offered. The palm trees and busy streets seemed worlds away from the dilapidated houses and potholes of his hometown. It's nice down here, fam, he commented as he waited for Carter to reply. It's the same game with a different face, fam. Don't let this glamour shit fool you. I'm going to be real honest about the shit that's going on here. My father... Your father? Ace asked in astonishment, knowing that his best friend had never known his dad. Yeah, that's how this all started. My father was a leader of a criminal enterprise called the cartel. Basically, they run all this shit down here. Drugs, real estate, politics, anything that happens here, the cartel makes happen, or is a part of in some way. Yo, so these cartel motherfuckers on some real organized crime type shit, huh? Zaire asked. 
Yeah. And business was good. Up until my father was murdered by Mati. Mati runs little Haiti. And this nigga ain't holding no punches. Since killing my father, he's murdered one of my little brothers and sparked a war that's fucking with my money. Your money? Ace asks. You a part of this cartel shit? I run the cartel. It's mine now, which is why I need the two of you here. Y'all know how I move. I trust both of you on my life, Carter said seriously. You know we're here with you, fam, but how's the money down here? We're making at least a hundred thousand a month in Flint. You know how lovely the hustle was there. We had our blocks on smash, Zaire said proudly. A hundred thou? Carter raised his eyebrows and looked at Zaire in the rearview mirror. Each, Zaire bragged. That's good money, know what I mean? Your boy was eating. Don't worry about the cash, fam. You gonna eat. You'll make a hundred thou easy, Carter guaranteed. Zaire nodded in approval, but he lost his mind when Carter added, A week. Nigga, you bullshitting, Ace exclaimed. Carter remained silent. Ace looked back at Zaire and said, Yo, this motherfucker's really serious. This ain't Flint Town, baby. Money flows like water in Miami, and I got a crazy connect. I'm getting the bird straight off the boat, 90% pure. But these Haitians are plugging up my league, know what I mean? They're taking out my soldiers, which is slowing up my money. We're about to rebuild, and when we're where we need to be, we'll get rid of them motherfuckers. Ace and Zaire trusted Carter and was with him before he even finished what he was saying. Carter drove them to a luxury apartment community near the Diamond household. It was a 2,500 square foot space with three bedrooms for them to share. They walked in through the attached two-car garage, a Hummer for each of them resting inside. Carter removed two sets of keys and tossed one to each of his friends. Y'all are set up. This place is close to my family's home. They live a few miles from here. I'll take you through tomorrow to meet them and introduce you to your new workers. Alright, alright fam. I know we down here on business and everything, but nigga, this is Miami and your boy trying to see the city tonight. Let's do a big tonight for old time's sake and tomorrow we can be all about the business. Zaire anxiously unlocked his new truck and hopped inside. Ace and Carter laughed at Zaire's excitement, but they knew that he was young. At 18, he still had the world to experience. They had seen and done so much more than him, and they both knew that he was only trying to follow in their footsteps. Zaire's gonna die. So to recap my predictions, Polo's the cause of all this shit. Zaire's gonna die. I was already right about uh, me and Moore and Carter. I called that shit. And I was probably right about Mecca in some places too, but I don't remember. I know I said something, and I was right. Probably money too. I'm right about everything. Alright fam, we can do a right. I'll show y'all around town. Mia Moore pulled out her cell phone in the middle of the crowded club to see if Carter had called. He hadn't tried to contact her in two days, and his sudden absence from her life was starting to bother her. She usually spoke with him at least twice a day, and he always made it a point to come and check for her. Now that he was doing disappearing acts, she didn't know what to think. Aries could see the discouraged look on her friend's face. You okay? She shouted over the loud music. 
Mia Moore looked up and realized that her two friends were staring at her. So she put her emotions at bay and replied, Yeah, I'm good. I was just wondering what time it was. Why hasn't he called you? Robin asked, not buying Mia Moore's lie. He's going through a lot right now. His brother just died and his family's having... Do you hear yourself right now? Robin said to her. Mia Moore, he is a mark. The cartel is our mark. He runs the cartel now. They killed Anissa. Which each day that passed, it was becoming more difficult for Mia Moore to keep up the charade. Yes, it was true that she harbored ill feelings towards the cartel and wanted to murder Mecca. But it was also true that she was falling in love with Carter. She knew it. And in a way, she hated herself for it. She felt like a traitor. She wanted to be wifey, wanted to be a part of Carter's life. But she knew that what she was building with him would eventually be torn down by a plot that she herself had devised. When the time came, she was going to kill him. She didn't have a choice. Mia Moore, you have to get he to break the truce with Mati. That is the only way we can get the bounty on the cartel. Push him, Mia. Make him react, Aries urged. Mia Moore nodded. Are you sure you can handle this? Aries asked. Yes, she answered simply as she took a sip from her Long Island iced tea. Then handle it, Robin told her. Look, this is going to take some time. The cartel isn't like any of these other jobs. I have to be careful. Carter isn't dumb. He'll see straight through me if I'm too pushy. I have to do this my way. I have to play wifey so then he'll trust me. But don't worry. It's gonna get done. I'm good. Just trust me. Fuck it. That's not what we here for anyway. Let's just have a good time, Aries said. The girls agreed, and Mia Moore leaned with her back against the bar as she swayed sexily to the music. She made sure that she could see every angle of the club, a habit that she had acquired over the years. She was always aware of her surroundings. Mia Moore held the attention of many of the men in the club. Her black spaghetti strap Prada dress dipped low on the front, revealing her C-cup cleavage and her flat stomach, and silver chew stilettos accentuated her shapely athletic legs. Her healthy hair glistened under the strobe light and was cut in a long bob with Chinese bangs, while her matte cosmetics complemented her almond-colored skin. Do they have to run this down every single time they say she looks good? Like, every single time. They run down the matte cosmetics, the almond-colored skin, her flat stomach. I'm shocked I didn't say anything about her wide hips. The term shorty is the shit had to be meant for her because her features always outshined every other chick in her vicinity. And that night was no different. Me and Moore watched as most of the women in the club flocked towards the door. She squinted to see who had entered the club that deserved so much attention. Speaking of the devil, Robin commented as she saw what the commotion was all about. Carter and two other men walked into the club clad in Cavalli jeans and fresh kicks. Carter simply wore a gray Lacoste sweater with a white collar shirt underneath. He was simple, but his jewels stood apart from every other nigga in the club. He was wearing so many carrots that he was almost hypnotic as the strobe lights played hide and seek with the diamonds around his neck. 
Mia Moore watched as Carter and his friends selected three girls to take up to the VIP section with them. That's why we can't get shit popping, Mia? Robin continued as if Carter didn't impress her. The nigga's playing you, Mia Moore. He has your fucking head gone. You sitting up in here turning down mad niggas waiting on him to call, and he out courting these busted ass bitches. Mia Moore could feel her temperature rising. She was hot as she watched Carter place his hand on the small of the girl's back and guided her through the crowd. Is he for real? Just say the word and I all over that bitch, Ari stated. The sight before Mia Moore had her tight. She was so upset that she was seeing red, which usually meant blood was about to be shed. But she controlled herself and saved face in front of her girls. Fuck him. He ain't my man. The nigga's a job. Nothing more, nothing less, she stated coldly. I can't believe I was feeling his lying ass, she thought to herself. She wanted to leave the club because deep inside she knew her heart was broken, but she stayed. She knew that if she left, she would be admitting that she was falling for him. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. Carter was hers. At least he was supposed to be. And she was jealous that his attention was focused on another woman. Carter was popping bottle after bottle of champagne and had his arm draped around the young woman as if he were proud to have her on his hip. This is bullshit, she thought silently as she inventoried her competition. The girl with Carter was pretty in the face, but her twice-borrowed dress and Claire's jewels were a disgrace. This shit is unfucking believable she thought. Her girls looked on in shock. They could tell that Mia Moore was beyond upset. Carter was having a good time. His head had been fucked up since arriving in Miami, and it felt good to have his niggas by his side again. For a long time, Ace and Zaire had been the only brothers he'd known, and he trusted them wholeheartedly. His love for them ran deep, and they shared an unbreakable bond. He looked around at the random chicks as Zaire had picked out the crowd, and had to admit he hadn't been so carefree in a long time. Carter was what some women would call arrogant. He was very selective when it came with who he shared his time with, and it was very rare that he dealt with a lot of women at one time. It was even rare to see him in a nightclub, but Zaire and Ace had talked him into it, so he decided to let loose. He told himself that he deserved to relax after all he had been through in the last couple of months. Carter noticed their drinks were getting low. So he leaned over and whispered for Zaire to go to the bar to get some more Moet. Zaire arose and made his way over to the bar. Like he ain't 18. How the fuck is he ordering this shit? The nigga's 18. How'd he get in the club? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? How the fuck this little nigga get in the club? He's 18. He slid into the empty space next to Robin and placed his order. Robin automatically clocked his pockets when he pulled out a wad of cash. She had to admit, she was impressed because he was working with all big faces. I should rob his young ass, she thought playfully to herself. Zaire noticed her watching and smiled as he licked his full lips. God damn it. Hey, Ma, won't you and your girls come and join me in VIP, he stated. His boyish charm was cute, and Robin could tell that he was young from his approach. What's your name, she asked. Zaire, he replied. When the bartender brought his drinks, he grabbed the three bottles. You coming? 
Are you going to hug the bar and wait for one of those broke-ass niggas to come over and waste your time? Robin leaned over and whispered in Mia Moore's ear. You want to go? Mia Moore shrugged nonchalantly. It's whatever. We don't have to stay. Just let that nigga see that you see him. Maybe his guilt will get shit moving a little faster. Robin turned his eye ear and said, lead the way. Mia Moore took a deep breath and followed behind her girls as they approached Carter's table. Her stomach was in knots as she continued to watch him closely. It seemed like the closer she got to him, the more her eyes began to fail her. Tears built up and she was forced to blink them away before they could fall. Yo, my friend and her girls are going to join us, Zaire stated as he set the bottles of Moet down on the table. The girl had Carter's face turned towards hers and she had his full attention as she whispered something in his ear, so he didn't even notice me anymore. Yo, I didn't get y'all's name, Zaire stated. I'm Robin. Aries. Mia Moore. As soon as her voice blessed Carter's ears, he turned his face and looked up at her in surprise. He could tell from the hurtful expression on her face that she had been there for a while, and he instantly knew that he had fucked up. He withdrew his arm from around the groupie and stood up. No, please don't let us break up y'all little thing, Robin protested sarcastically to Carter. Carter tried to make eye contact with Mia Moore, but she refused to look at him. She just shook her head in disgust before beginning to walk away. Robin turned his eye ear. Thanks for inviting us over, but it looks like you have enough company as it is. It's a shame, too, because you have potential, youngin', she said sweetly as she lightly kissed his cheek, and they walked away from the table. Carter excused himself and followed behind Mia Moore. Grabbing her arm gently, he stopped her from leaving as he tried to explain. Mia Moore, it's not what it looks like, he began. Mia Moore snatched her arm from his grasp and shook her head in disbelief. She was pissed and hurt. She hated herself for caring so much when the man before her was simply supposed to be a means to an end. What is it about him? She asked herself silently. Come on, Ma, say something. Mia Moore wanted to forget what she had just witnessed. A part of her wanted to leave the club with him, but she had never been a silly bride who believed lame excuses, and she wasn't about to become one that night. I know what the fuck I saw. He was all in the bitch face a minute ago. If I hadn't walked up, he would probably be taking the bitch home tonight. Fuck him. You know what, Carter? It doesn't even matter. Now I know who you really are. You're just like every other nigga. A liar. Her words hit him like darts to the heart. When she turned to walk away, he reached for her hand. Mia Moore. Just then, the girl he had been with in VIP eased up behind him and wrapped her arms around him as she stared Mia Moore down. It was obvious she was trying to make her presence felt and stake her claim. Mia Moore shook her head and backpedaled towards the door. Carter removed the girl's arms from his body. You just made this so much easier for me. He's all yours, she said as she stormed away, her stiletto stabbing the floor to death with each step before she disappeared through the exit of the club. The pain that was etched on her face was the last thing Carter saw before she left. Fuck, he whispered. What's wrong, Daddy? The girl asked. Why the fuck you calling him Daddy when you literally just met him? Like, that's some over-the-top creep shit. Like, 
Girl, my name's Clarence. Name ain't Clarence. Name's Carter. But I'd be giving her a fake name and she calling me daddy and she just met me. Just because I'm popping bottles and shit. Ugh. You know, personally, I've always had a small, small, small issue with the phrase daddy anyway. It just sounds so fucking submissive. I don't know. I don't know. It's a thing for me. I know that there's guys who are like, call me daddy. And I'm just like, no. You know why? That name is literally reserved for my kids. Call me big daddy when you back that ass up. Now that's different. Carter looked down at the girl and all of a sudden she had become a nuisance. Look, ma, I need some air, he said. I'm not trying to play you or nothing, but ain't shit popping off tonight, all right? Then he walked away, leaving her dumbfounded in the middle of the dance floor. Oh, God. Just like in movies, like in, in romance, uh, rom-coms and drom-coms, if that's a dramedy comedy. No, a dramedy comedy. <laughs> a drama romantic movie. A dramatic romance movie. But in uh, rom-coms, I know because I've watched those before. There's always that moment where there's just conflict between the two love interests for no reason whatsoever. It's always forced. And this was forced. The fact that they just both happen to be at the same place at the same time again. It feels like we're going in circles as far as their relationship. They argue. They fall apart. They find each other because they just happen to be in the same place again. They make up with sex. I mean, honestly, though, he never actually said he loved her. And 2008 was a year where every nigga was trying to be a player. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he, I never said that this is a real thing. If he says that somewhere down the line. But at this point in time, this shit's kind of circular. But now it should be leading to the actual fight between three girls and a whole fucking cartel. That should be interesting. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um, leave a review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. Uh, and then let me know where you left it at. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this feat. This is Single Simulcast. <laughs>